Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode here on the Echelon Cycling Podcast. We are available on all the different podcasts and, of course, can't just do this alone. We have plenty of things to talk about this week, the Rutland Classic, the Edge Baston Liège, the Tour of the Alps, and many other things as well. So without further ado, I'm, always, as always, joined by Audu creator Patrick and uh, Token Yorkshireman, and of course, the second Dane's very own Mr. Critical himself. And I mean, guys, where should we start? There's so many different places. I think Rutland Classics is the best place to start. Rutland Classic, considering that we are Anglo speakers, I guess we may as well start there. Because it's like, what, is it the only other UCI race in the UK now, outside of a Tour of Britain? It's just sad, isn't it? British cycling right now. Yeah, I'm fairly certain it's the only one, which is a bit, it is a bit sad. But I think it was, uh, it was a good showing. It's quite, it's, it's a different style of race. It's got off-road sectors and stuff. It's kind of UK's response to a lot of the kind of Belgy sort of off-road style races. And I think it was it was pretty good. It was Luke Lamperti who won for Trinity. And, you know, the style list isn't like crazy. Let, let, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. It's filled with a lot of British level, kind of club level, but like the kind of the uh, elite level riders. And I think it's good that we have a race like that where they can show themselves i mean even the person who's in third place he's a friend of a friend of mine and you know it's just cool that you get these these riders who in the british scene and they get a bit of representation because let's face it they don't get the representation in the tour of britain because they're not going to get invited there so it kind of provides the the middle ground between the two so i'm very glad that it was a uh, it was taken part and i think it was a, it was a good one hopefully we get a few more races like that in the uk I simply refuse to comment on British racing. I think we should start on <laughs> but... uh, the, the biggest race of the week, actually probably the coolest race of the week, which was the Eroica, the, the sort of Strada Bianca Junior race. That was pretty cool. And it was won by a Swiss national champion racing for the Azure Desert Junior team. That was pretty cool. But of course, we are avoiding the two big races of the week in Flash Wallon and uh, Liège Baston Liège. Yeah. Or of the Alps as well, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, Luke Lamberty winning, absolute, yeah. really nice guy, probably going to be World Tour, apparently was World Tour, you and you sent me the the screenshot where oh, it said it, oh. it was Lotto, what, what was he? Well, the English language was completely butchered by by a popular British cycling news account, where they, they just, they avoided commas, they avoided everything, articles, prepositions, it, it bothers me, that they put up the most sort of meaningless sentence I, I think I've seen on that Elon Musk owned bird app. Uh, saying that Luke Lamperty wins from Lotto Sudal, which, by the way, is not the name of the team. And secondly, it was a Lotto Destiny development team with James Mackay, which, by the way, he doesn't even ride for, for that squad. So it, it's just a silly sentence that doesn't make any sense. And you know what? Yeah. I'm Please, I, I'm begging us to move on from British cycling. There's so much to look at elsewhere. We need to... <laughs> we need to stop giving them airtime yeah, okay that's fair enough all right where should we get where, where should we get to next i mean i forgot flesh alone which is uh yeah quite embarrassing but yeah i mean we might as well start with flesh alone tata bagaccia winning very impressive victory and we talked about flesh alone being one of these races where it's very important to be in the top 10 and even being in the top five and then yeah absolute gold then winning this and then we thought he would have won today liege baston liege but we'll get on to that later i mean everyone was talking about uh, matthias skelmoser who was basically the first human which i thought was quite funny it was a good race you know i think that it was interesting because Pogacar never finished inside the top 10 of La Flèche Wallonne prior to this year. So there were some concerns because, you know, last year he came into this race, La Flèche Wallonne, and he, it was like, oh, well, he'll clearly do well here because he's won, you know, he'd done so well last year, but he he didn't. So there was that kind of air of anticipation as to, is he actually going to do it this year? And UAE were pretty, you know, they, they had it absolutely locked down. They knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't really miss a beat. And Pogacar just absolutely nailed it. And it was dead impressive, to be honest with you. The way that he just stepped off and attacked in the last, like, 100 metres or so was just insane. And it was just Pogaccio in full flight, and it was really cool, actually. And, I, I, yeah, Skelmos in second was, was a really cool one as well. I'm sure that Scott will be happy with that one. And then Lander in third was actually relatively surprising. Landissimo, you know, was flying. He was, he was grimacing, but, you know, he wasn't taking a sip of his bead on in the last 150 metres, unlike Trevor Catalonia when he was taking a sip in the sprint. He wasn't doing that this time round. It was obviously a bit harder for him. Landismo is alive. It's breathing. It's real. We can feel it. It was it was a decent race. Flesh Wallon really is a guaranteed one minute of, of excitement. Uh, the rest of the race, you can sort of skip past. But Pogacar was the strongest in the day. Good result on the climb. Also, I mean, Roman Balde 
I'm not sure if you guys noticed it on the climb. He he tried to do like a sneak attack on on the peloton and then got completely blocked. And he, he was like coming around with like a lot of speed, right? All these riders coming through to, to attack on like the final couple hundred meters. And he got blocked by someone, had to scrub off all his speed. And he still finished in top 10. So Balde looking like he's on good legs. Rode a decent uh, race at Liege by Saint-Liège as well. So a good sort of ride by... The class of 2017 Tour de France in London Balde, the battle for third at that, at that year's tour. I mean, yeah, not really that much more to say about Flesh Alone because it is just, and I say this as a fan, a glorified hill climb, but Liege Baston Liege, uh, we might as well move on to that. That happened today. Remco Venable winning imperiously, covered it over on the Cycling Day and Extra channel. And uh, I mean, it wasn't the most interesting race. Tad Bogacha crashing before the cameras were even broadcast. Yeah, that kind of took it out of it. And Remco Vinopol and Sudal Quickstep were just absolutely dominant in that race. Yeah, it, it was a real shame that Pogaccia crashed because there was a lot of anticipation around him versus Avonapool. And when Pogaccia crashed, pretty much everybody, including me, was then just thinking, well, when's Avonapool going to attack? And therefore, when's Avonapool going to win this race? It seemed a bit like a done deal already, which seems a bit harsh to say, you know, no disrespect to the other competitors, but it kind of just seemed that way. And Avonapool just did exactly that. He managed to just attack away from other people. He didn't do it on... Lavradut, though, despite the fact that Van Vilde was setting a really hard pace, he kind of seemed apprehensive to go there, but he sort of like went um, and he like Pidcock went with him, but then Pidcock just got like, he just got fully dropped, like not even by an attack. It was just a hard pace and he just couldn't follow it, which again follows on to, <laughs> was there somebody commented saying that Pidcock can't do something over 200 kilometers? It feels like he gets to that point, blows up, and then he kind of Re like surges back. It's, it's this so weird weird. thing, isn't it? I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but Pidcock still finished in second place, so you can't be too upset about that. Yes, but I always feel like with these gargantuan performances, we always forget who finishes in second and third, and they'll fade into obscurity. Some monuments you can kind of remember who comes in second and third, but this one I feel like will fade very quickly into obscurity but uh i mean bitarago who did finish in third place brilliant ride from him no one was expecting that uh he's a rider who's been promising a lot got his giro win last year in that final week of racing and he's just been he's been looking really really strong but getting that sort of one day result i don't think was really something we were expecting so Good work from him and a couple of riders in top 10. Similarly, we weren't really expecting rides from today. Pat Conrad, Guillaume Martin as well, who snuck into top 10, particularly Guillaume Martin. I mean, we can we can just erase every, everything we said last week about Guillaume Martin getting confused at the idea of a one day the classic. He's now he's now finally walked on to how to race classics. And maybe we can see Guillaume Martin contend Lombardia later this year. But yeah, I mean... It's Liège, it's done. I think we now need to reopen the Pandora's box of this being the most boring uh, monument to add just a dash of negativity to this. Um, <laughs> you know, it was you know, pretty bad, just... to be fair. It wasn't that great. The women's if... wasn't good either. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do agree. Like, Amstel Gold wasn't great either because yeah. it's just overwhelming favorite. Okay, so what's been your favorite? We might as well go there. What's been your favorite one-day race so far this season? Off, um, Flesh Vallone. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. At least Flesh Vallone was was exciting for more than. Actually, I don't. Uh, I don't even know if we had a little ounce of excitement today in Liege, Baston Liege, because yeah. it felt like the inevitable was yeah. always going to happen. Whereas with, with Flesh Vallone, there was that back in the back of our head thinking, uh, maybe Pogacar won't do it because he's not really cracked the mule before, and he didn't go until the final hundred meters. Where this, it just felt like it was going to be inevitable the whole way through. Imagine if Pog was there. He would have yeah. followed that. I'm trying to think of what my favourite one-day race of the season is. I feel like all of them have just been sort of tampered by some kind of kind of lameness. I don't uh, want to pick... I feel San like Remo. San Remo was pretty good. San Remo was quite good, but you. I feel like I always... I really like San Remo, but it seems really hard to pick. It's kind of like La Flesh Alone. You know that it's going to kick off just at one certain point, and it's like yeah. the rest of it you don't really need to watch. I was going to say E3, but then that was just like, wow, Matthew and Pog. Like, that was cool, but they were just like rolling for like the last half hour. And I was like, well, it's going to be a sprint. There was no anticipation there. Was Bruges de Pas actually the best one day race with Philipson and Coy and Frieza? And there was somebody else in our car, right? And Lampart, where it was just 
really wet. I know, was that the best one? I'm going to vouch for Ronde van Vlaanderen. I think that was a brilliant two hours of television. I like to think of like the bike racing as like a spectacle. That's why the 2019 Tour de France is brilliant because it's just unpredictable from start to finish and sort of all these pitfalls and so forth. Where Ronde this year, when those group of escapees went with like 100k to go, that Pearson led, led group, and we had the sort of anticipation of will they, won't they, they got a big sort of two, three minute gap at one point, and we thought, oh, Von der Poel, Pogacar, they've all, they've all sort of messed up here, and we, we didn't really know what, what they were going to do. Then they went, and we had this big three-up duel for a while. They caught up to the breakaway. We had a couple of sort of remarkable performances from the breakaway. Yes, Pogacar eventually went away, but that was 15 minutes of Pogacar being, well, 10, 15 minutes of Pogacar being on his own. And still behind him, it's, it's Van der Poel, who you knew was like on the limits, like great at the sport. And the battle for third was still up for grabs, really. That was a brilliant piece of entertainment that I think people will love to rewatch in a couple of years' time. Also, the narrative of a Tour de France champion winning that race and sort of the the sort of mind-blowing moment, as well as having the sort of the real raw battle between Pogacar, Van der Poel and Van Aert, all on top form, finally knowing who the who the best of those three was on the Ronde van Vandere profile. I don't think like Liège had the same intrigue. I don't feel like Roubaix had the same intrigue. There's a lot of emotion and pathos with Roubaix. But I don't feel like it had the same intrigue from start to finish as... Ronda van Vlaanderen does and San Remo just the way of the race it's a brilliant 45 minutes or 30 minutes of racing at the end but it's not quite a race you could sort of sit down and really savor the afternoon watching I think that if somebody was with Pogaccia say Van der Poel to the finish of Flanders so it was a two-up sprint that would have literally made it one of the best one-day races ever. But it was just the fact that Pogaccia rode in solo that just made it a little bit kind of... I wanted anticipation up to the line, not just kind of a foregone conclusion. But that's my only problem with it. Similarly, Roubaix. Roubaix yeah. We saw Roubaix, yeah. yeah, that would have been amazing. That yeah. would have been the moment. Because we, we look back at 2020 Rondo with so much fondness, even though it really was kind of just the two of them, a, a bit like Adri this year, where we kind of knew it was between the two of them for a very long time. I'm waiting until they sprinted at the end. I think it would have been cool to have Van Aert and Van der Poel sprinting in the Ribe Velodrome, because that I think is the most iconic finish of any of these races. But equally yeah. with today, with Liège, if Pogaccia is there, it's Remco versus Tarabgaccia. I mean, that would have been amazing as well. So it's just, we've been robbed. We've been robbed. But that would have felt a little bit inevitable because I feel like Pogacar would win that yeah. sprint any day of the week. Yeah, yeah, it probably should have been like the old the old finish. That would have made it a bit more interesting, potentially. Yeah, it would have done. And Oscar's like, because it was wet as well, like Avonapol wasn't really railing the corners. It was just mm. kind of like taking it really chill and really calm. Victory around, lap around Liege. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I was sat with 28Ks to go thinking, should I just crack on with some uni work? Because literally everybody knows what the so what is going to be i was like yeah second and third what whatever will happen there will happen but i think liege was just a, it was just a bit dull because you knew what the result was going to be like half an hour to go if not more and that just kind of took the wind out of its sails where does it kind of put remco venable if we have this kind of theoretical top five or top three of cycling where would you put remco in terms of the pagacha the Roglic, the the goal? Three, I think it's more than just three. But like this, okay. This who else echelon. do you want to put in? Well, well, well yeah. like okay. So, so let's say we have what we call the Galacticos, the Gargantuans. They're in that upper pantheon of riders. Undoubtedly, it's not really up for debate here. Pogacar, Van Aert, Van der Poel, Vingegaard, Roglic, Evenepoel. I don't think I've missed anybody from that list. Correct me if I have. Alaphilippe would have been there a couple of years back, but I think yeah, he's, he's dropped down in terms of status. Yeah, nobody's jumping out at me as to somebody who you've missed. I think you have hit them all there. Because I don't really include like sprinters like Philipson or something in there. They're just kind of a bit too one-trick pony. Although Philipson is certainly more versatile. But yeah, you... Um, I think you hit well, well, yeah, ex- exactly. But <laughs> ex- exactly that. It's two he, he, is more, he is more versatile. Like him and Pedersen are very good sprinters to have on your team but that, that's a whole different discussion we're, we're talking about where's Remco in this top six that Ewan's just kind of laid out I'd say that at the moment oh god we get we get people mention how we just bash Wat Van Aert all the time but not so gonna I, lie I don't bash I don't bash Wat Van Aert not gonna lie obviously I love how we all just went <laughs> like that <laughs> not gonna lie of the six results this year Wat Van Aert is not in the top part of that six he's not yeah that's fair enough he's, he isn't Right, it's just that, that you can't deny it, people. It's statistics, all right. It's just numbers. 
This isn't an opinion thing. That's that. That's just numbers. Avnapol. That's fair. He tanked San Juan. He did good in Catalonia. Him and Rogic were head to head there. He won something else. What else did he win? Uetor. Yeah, Uetor. Great. Fantastic. Dusty. I don't know. Dusty stage race. And then, and then he won Liège, which is which was a bit eh because Pogacar wasn't there. So it's like, do I do I put him in the top three yet? I'm not sure if I do. To be honest with you, I reckon he's like fourth. At the moment, it like Pogacar's at the top, and then there, there's Vanderpool. And then I don't know. I'd say maybe it's like Roglic and Avonapool third, and then Wout and Jonas. I know Jonas won Basque Country, but like it, it wasn't like let's say there was no other like gargantuan there. So I'd say it's like Wout and Jonas at the bottom, Pogacar and Vanderpool, and then it's Remco and Roglic fighting for third and fourth. That's kind of how I'm laying it out. <clears throat> Here we go. Hog at the top. Easy. Second, Vanderpool. Third, Primoz. Fourth, Avnapol. Fifth, Jonas. Sixth, Wout. Why have you two been smoking? <laughs> but maybe I'll be. We've got to keep up our thing of being Wout and art bashes. It's yeah, it's what we have, Scott. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Wout. Okay, so Wout won Adri Price. No, I, I didn't care about the Wout. I cared about the Jonas. What's he, what's he done? He hasn't beaten Pogacar this year. He's won Gran Camino, which I, I know it's I know it's a it's a racist follower. Bro, bro. Against Hugo. Jonas Aguirre is not Pogacar. He is not Avnapol. He's not these guys. He's Jonas Aguirre. My man has won one Grand Tour stage in My the last like, decade. No, even even Landa. Landa doesn't win races. It's kind of part of his personality. He just doesn't win. The fact that Vingegaard won Basque Country when when all these others were doing all the other stuff all around the world. Nah, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. This was Never a kind of worms. <laughs> this was this was also just ready to erupt. I'm, I mean, the whole discussion was about Remco, so I'll try and get it back here so we don't yeah. derail it too much. Remco Venepool, as we know, 2018 Innsbruck, blah blah blah. Gets touted as the next Eddie Merckx. How do you think that tag still fits with Renko right now? Considering, I mean, some of the things he's done is very Merckx-esque. And I mean, we've talked about Tadbogacha being the next Merckx. I think he was 24 as well, Eddie Merckx, before he won his first Grand Tour. So a bit ahead of him on that front. It's not a bad comparison. But there's something about, like, Merckx's name is just getting more, like, it feels like, it was, if it was a Google search, like, statistics, his, his peaks is, like, going up and up just as people comparing this old man just to people now i think he don't get me wrong yeah he is a legend of the sport like don't get me wrong i think that yeah remco probably is like on a merckx-esque age wise like yeah if you were to take him at the same age the main thing is the cobble classics that's what remco hasn't done which merckx did i think for considering how quick steps classics went this year in the cobbles it wouldn't surprise me if remco gets set next year so maybe we'll talk about this again next year remco's won some kind of like e3 or something and we're like well mate now he is i reckon he's close but he doesn't have a cobble classics and his palmares to uh really be like an exact comparison i reckon remco could win ronda yeah i think he could he also needs to win a tour de france before i Throw in the Mercs comparisons. I think Toggle's Pogo Stick is definitely more worthy of the Mercs comparison. But, mm. I mean, it's only a matter of time. I reckon Avonapol wins at least one tour before he retires. But anyways, getting back to the week, and the Tour of the Alps also happened, that race, and uh, one rider that Ewan's been fairly critical of, <laughs> not Wout van Aert, Theo Gegenhardt. The list is starting to build up, but I mean, two victories in the stage race and taking the overalls, pretty good going by him. Before I dive in, into the Tour of the Alps, I do want to preface this by saying that I don't have a problem with Theo Gegenhardt. I just question how evergreen his Giro d'Italia victory is, but he put that to bed. He's even been struggling with it himself. With this overall win at the Tour of the Alps, this is actually only his second ever stage race victory, and it's it's a pretty big one given the company he was in, including Hugh Carthy, Jack Haig, and Leonard Kemner, even Sasha Vlasov, if he did retire from this race. Teo began the week with a stage win. He backed that up on stage two. He didn't seem particularly happy after winning. Don't get me wrong, the, the stage finish was a little bit dangerous, but when you win a stage of a stage race, which doesn't happen that often to Theo Gegenhardt, and the first thing you do is complain to your Swanya about the stage of the racing. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, he he continued on with the race leader's jersey all the way to the end, despite a breakaway win from Lena Kemner, Gregor Morberger winning a breakaway dash to the last.
Line and Simon Carr. Born on the English-Welsh border but grew up in France, he took the final stage for EF after a week good week of racing for the Brits. They got three stage wins and two places on the podium. So not bad for the United Kingdom in every sense of the word at the Tour of the Alps. And this is probably solidifying the fact that Teo Guggenhardt is actually in a really good position going into the Giro. He's mm. been looking good this year so far. Podium at Tirreno Adriatico. Also a stage win at Valenciana. Could have won the overall. Up for debate there. Uh, after a penalty, he got some one of the stages. And now with the win at the Tour of the Alps, you would say, apart from Remco and Roglic, is probably the rider with the best build up yeah absolutely that's what i was gonna say is that teo has pretty quietly just been getting on and when i look at his like stats now i'm like oh my word teo has actually had a killer season so far which rivals a lot of the best gc riders in the world and it comes in in a really important year considering that it's a contract year for him as well and i think that you know, there, there have been questions about since 2020 and the Giro win which he got there was that kind of fluky or whatever but that aside you know obviously he got a good contract like a long-term contract and I think it's good that after a few years where things haven't quite worked out but it's finally it's finally going his way and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do at the Giro. I think going into it we were all sort of thinking oh it's, it's all Gar- Garrett Thomas, Garrett Thomas so then there's sort of a Rensman and Teo kind of there as like fallback options if case G decks it or something. Well, I think that Tay is honestly a contender. Like, he, Honestly, I would be favouring him over G right now. If I was in the Oscar and Adiz, I'd be favouring Teo. Is that fair? Do you reckon? Would you guys t- favour Teo right now? Well, I mean, this over is a G. nice little segue to, uh, what should we call it, spontaneous ranking segment, and uh, we love these uh, on the Cycling Day. We haven't done it here on the Echelon Cycling Podcast yet, so we might as well do it here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, we will, of course, let you know the contenders that we're going to throw into the mix here. We've got Hugh Carthy, Jack Haig, Leonard Kemner, because someone wanted him, Joao Almeida, Garen Thomas, Rigoberto Aran, Alexander Vlasov, Theo Gegenhardt, Remco Venable, Timo Pino, and Primoz Roglic. So we might as well start straight away. Yeah, Hugh Carthy, former podium finisher at the Vuelta Hispano. Oh, why do you have to say those words? This is the thing, right? You and I agree on this. But we're all living still off of that Hugh Carthy Angleroo stage win, thinking that this is the level that he's at all the time, when it's not true. It's not. The fact of the matter is, the last few juries he's taken place, take a part. He hasn't cracked the top five. He just, like, at best, it's a top ten. If you put it at top five, I'm going to flip. He has been top ten before, yeah. What do you reckon, you? Is top ten fair, or do you want him in flop? Hugh Carthy's mid as hell, not going to lie. He's destined for an eighth the 10th place in GC. He's, yeah, he kind of occupies that spot that Alexei Lutsenko is really good at getting at the Tour de France. He's the Lancastrian Alexei Lutsenko. <laughs> Inter, <laughs> inter-county uh, rivalry showing itself. Okay, so Jack exactly. Haig, again. Oh, gosh. Another podium finisher at the Vuelta exactly. Espana. Exactly, and yet, yeah, he's literally on the same plane as Carfi. The fact that Carfi did really well in that one Vuelta and then Haig did a similar-ish feat, but probably just more consistent <laughs> performances in another Vuelta. But Haig isn't talked about as much. It's just that just says words to me. The fact of the matter is, is that Haig and Carthy are pretty much just going to be battling like 7th to 10th, more than likely. All right, next, Lena Kemner. This was you, Ewan. You wanted him on here. And I want to put flop, to be honest. Flop? You- what? He's good at taking stages. He's never really want- ridden a GC. I don't know. It's tricky. Plus, they also have Vlazov in that team. Are they really oh. going to go... A two-pronged yeah. attack. Is he going to do GC for, like, two weeks? Going to get to that final week and then just, like, crack? And then he's going to drop down to a very Leonard Kemner 15th in GC? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fair flop. But he'll probably pick up a stage winner, too, along the way. Joao Almeida uh, almost got a podium last year. Top five. Not podium? Nah. I feel like Joao Almeida is going to be one of those riders who never gets a podium, but he's always there. Like, Aww. who was on the po- on the podium last year? Was 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 who? Because Almeida wasn't beating him. It was Hindley, Carapaz, and Landa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Al- Almeida got COVID in the final week of racing. He did, but wasn't he in fourth place at a point he where was, he got but he COVID? He had the possibility of moving up to third, and he had a but very weak team as well. Yeah, but the thing is, my point is that he wasn't getting on the podium when it was like. Lander, who was on the podium, how is he going to be dethroning? Like, I'd say arguably this Shiro start list this year is a little step up from last year's. 
Yeah, fair enough. Garen Thomas? Oh, flop. <laughs> That's kind of real. He wasn't that good at Tory Alps. He wasn't. No. There goes that podcast collaboration. The fact of the matter is, Ineos will now just be like, we're now working for Teo. That's literally what we're going to say. Okay, Rigoberto Ran. Top 10. Top 10. He's, so he's also going to be in that sort of seventh to tenth place marker. That's what yeah. Ran does so well, is getting in top 10s at Grand Tours without making any impact at all. Yeah. He'll get there. If there was a category which was literally, will finish 10th, that's your man. Bang on 10. Finished tenth in 2021. Exactly. That's, that's where he's going. I mean, he's a former runner-up twice. That was almost ten years ago. Yeah, that's that true. That was but... ten years ago. <laughs> Wait, well, you were two thousand? Yeah, two thousand thirteen, two thousand twelve. And he wasn't even supposed to be the leader. It was supposed to be Bradley Wiggins. That's true. It's there are parallels here. He's supposed to be working for the for the one tour wonders from the United Kingdom, and instead he's going to do better than them. I mean, Bradley Wiggins. That's a sidetrack. He, he did finish second place in the world to, retrospectively now. True. Bro got beaten by Chris Froome. He wasn't even supposed to be. He wasn't even supposed to be the leader. Anyway, Sasha. <laughs> that was oh the gosh. Seg- <laughs> that was the segue. He's just, he's just, he's a, in his own world. I, I, I don't know where you was putting but... No, he's he's been mid as hell this year. Not gonna lie. Vlasov. He finished. Didn't he finish fourth of the tour last year? Fifth. But he, he crashed the Giro. That's true. Probably, all right, top five. Top five. I'm so, I'm saying top five. So but who's, I'm willing to who's compromise. your podium? So who's your podium? Remco Roglic Taya. Oh shoot. Okay. Fair enough. Which kind of just spoils stuff. Yeah, you people. just spoil I'm sorry. It. <laughs> we said the names at the start. Taylor Gagenhart. You really think he's gonna podium? Podium. Podium. Really? Yeah. Well, the other option here that we have is Pino, and that's not happening. I mean, we can change around <laughs> once we got in. Remco Venepol to win. Remco to win. Pino flop. I'm uh, sorry. It's happening to win. Are we happy with this? No. <laughs> Sasha Vlasov should be on the podium. I'm sorry. I, I've been seeing it all season. I know. I know he's been flopping all season. But I am on board the Sasha Vlasov hype train. Bora have such a good team. Bora have their tactics on lockdown. We saw that early this. Well, we saw that at the Tour of the Alps. Bora are going to be there. I'm ready for Sasha Vlasov to be Remco Afedipol's kryptonite once again. I was thinking, what is the success rate of Tour of the Alps winners going on to do well at the Giro? I think it's quite bad. So last year was Roman Bardet who went on to win it. The year before was Simon Yates. Pavel Sivakov the year before. 2018, Thibaut Pino. I mean, it's not filling me with a lot of confidence here. It's, a, it's not the greatest correlation, I will admit. Yeah. I will compromise and we can swap Vlasov and Teo. I'm happy. I'm happy to keep Teo on podium. I want Joao on the podium. They'll finish the same time and hold hands on the podium. Think of who's who's the better time trialist of those three? Sasha. Joao Almeida has been fully. Joao is in his TT era at UAE. I'm sorry. He's he's fully mid time trialist at UAE. At at Quick Step, he was God. UAE (laughs) did something. To my boy Zhao and his TT, and I don't like it. He so now so finishes twelfth. What's up with that? Okay, so we're all we're stuck in a rut here. Everyone's backing someone. Well, we can have we can have them both there, right? They could could they all, all be three, fighting? All for, three, all, uh, all three on the podium. They are all well, we've only got, podium contenders. We've only got three guys occupying four positions from sixth to tenth place. Can we not have two people hypothetically on our podium and let the road decide? <laughs> They finished exactly the same. Exactly. It's like four. The likely thing is that Roglic actually DNFs or DNSs stage 18 or something like that. That seems pretty on brand, let's face it. He'll probably bin it. He is the new Garrett Thomas. Yeah, that's true. Should we put more in? Should we put Aronsman in here? No. Aronsman will finish 11th. Right. Just just a straight fact. So we're going to move Blazov up and then. Okay. Because yeah. you two have Almeida hate, we'll leave him in top five. It's not but... hate. It's I like Almeida. Okay. I Constructive criticism, let's call it. I'm just trying but... to think of other people. Ciccone's going to lose a whole year in the TTs. <laughs> <laughs> like... yeah, that's true. Oh my goodness, it's such a bad decision to send him here. <laughs> and like, the only thing is, the only stages that he'll be able to be competitive in from a breakaway are in like the final week. So it's like... Oh, great. I was going to ruffle some feathers. That's what I was going to do. 
Yeah, so anyway, that's uh, our first... <laughs> you just walked away. <laughs> this lasagna is too important. Here's <laughs> the lasagna, here's what it looks like. For all the viewers at home, this is what I've been working on. Yeah, great podcast material here. <laughs> uh, I can I can describe this for the audio listeners. Um, a crispy top. It's. I mean, I wasn't really paying attention. I was too busy fighting Vlasov's case of winning the Giro. It's this beautiful kind of tobacco-colored topped uh, lasagna. It's got this sort of creamy edge and uh, questionable meat inside. But I'll be I'll be tucking into this over over our next segment. Do we count like as a food? Can we go in the food category now for the podcast? Does that count? Does that count? That's great for sponsorship. So yes. But yeah. Anyway, moving on. Patrick, you have a story you wanted to talk about concerning a superstar of EF Education Easy Post. Oh yeah, there there have been some some rufflings about Carapaz's performance so far this year since joining EF. And I saw a report somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but and and it was also through Google Translate. So let's all just bear this in mind. But basically, Carapaz hasn't been adapting particularly well to EF's. Um, I don't know culinary <laughs> expertise. I don't know. Basically, Carapaz is, I think, a little bit above what they're hoping in terms of like weight at the moment by like a, a smidgen but they are a little bit concerned ahead of the tour de france that he isn't going to be competitive which is a big concern for ef when you consider that they invested quite a lot of money into into carapaz and i remember seeing somewhere that vogt has had to go to ef to try and get them to give more money to get carapaz so obviously vogt is probably feeling the heat as well as somebody who was really pushing this decision to get Carapaz in the team and now it's not looking so great for them then again we are still over a month away from a tour and things can very much change in a month but what do you guys think about Carapaz for the tour knowing this information would you are you concerned about his ability to finish on the podium for, for the tour we, we've talked to him up so many times that he's one of the most consistent Grand Tour riders in recent times outside of the Slovenians. Well, outside of Tad Bogaccia, not Roglic, because he's plenty of DNFs. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. And, I mean, the whole weight thing as well. Jan Ulrich was one who was uh, known for always gaining a lot of weight during the winter. And the Tour de Suisse, I think, there was a Tour de Suisse where he crashed. And that was the reason why he missed the 1999 Tour de France because he was only living off gels when he was training and racing, nothing else, no food, no anything, and then, then crashed, and hence why he's the winner of the 1999 Welter's wasn't at the Tour de France, but that's a complete mm. sidetrack. But yeah, I mean, like you said, the amount of money they've invested into getting Carapaz here, and then uh, if he's not yeah. hindi- hindi- hitting the right performance numbers, let's call it, they're yeah. going to be quite worried about this, because, yeah. And he's also had a, a some kind of respiratory illness to last few weeks which is why when you've looked on pcs for example and he's been on for a liege or a la flesh Wallone or a amstel his name's been on there but he hasn't been at the start list is because he he is i think a little bit ill at the moment which again is not ideal preparation for the tour especially when you consider that you know i know we're going into may so we're kind of he'll, he'll get through may and then we'll get towards the warm-up races where he's going to the dauphine i think he's going there so i think there's still plenty of time for carapaz and EF to kind of swing this around. But it's very interesting that moving from Ineos to EF hasn't been the slick transition that perhaps they were expecting. And it just shows kind of behind the scenes how difficult it can be for a rider. You don't really consider a rider going to a new team and they just kind of fit in and it's just perfect. You don't think about all the other extra things that go on behind the scenes to make kind of a transition a bit more difficult for a rider. Yeah, that, that, that's true. I don't think we're going to see like a big fad uh, weight loss thing for Carapaz. I don't think any nutritionist would approve what, what Ulrich did 20 years ago. I just don't think that's, it's not sustainable. It's not healthy. I don't think we're going to see that from Carapaz this year. Who knows where he'll be? Weight isn't everything, of course. We'll wait and see. Maybe it's about his fueling and so forth. And we'll see that come into fruition over the next couple of months. I, I know these guys are so sort of fixated on their weight. Maybe it's also weighing on his mental health as well, knowing that he needs to be in a certain position to fight for certain races. So I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting debate and it would explain a little bit why he's been off the mark, but I think the respiratory issues as well. 
also explain a lot. We've seen riders who aren't on their weight target and still perform. So I think there might be something else really, which would be the respiratory problem that could be holding him back. I mean, the weight loss thing. Remember George Bennett a few years ago in the in the Giro d'Italia, that went completely crazy and he just couldn't perform. And then there was another thing. Do you remember it's like when Christoph was still at UAE? I think it was like during the tour or something, he put on loads of kilos because they were giving him um, creatine which increases your water retention so he actually got to the end of the tour and he was like four or five kilos something heavier i'm not sure if that's not like an exact like it was four or five i think it was it might have even been more than that but basically it just shows how the whole nutrition side of cycling is becoming increasingly more prevalent and i think it was something which was perhaps neglected a bit let's say in the the 80s fruit of the 2000s but i think it's certainly been the the front like the, the new frontier in terms of kind of marginal gains especially over like the last 10 years or so literally umbo visma using ai to generate me- meal plans and dietary things for their riders yeah so th- really I, wow. I believe it's it's got something to do with at, with the actual Yumbo supermarket, but the technology they've used is something AI generated to maximize like nu- nutrients and calories and so forth for their riders. So Yumbo Visma have been working with AI to, to like help develop uh, meal plans and nutritional data for their riders. Maybe that's mm. the future. More to come on AI and Yumbo Visma. Yeah. But you would say they probably they're, they're going to sort something out. I know EF do a lot with their sort of new frontier tech stuff, but I I imagine I mean like Super Sapiens and Wahoo and all this kind of stuff. For instance, but I imagine Ineos Grenadiers would have been quite similar. Maybe not Movistar before, but yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll find out, I guess. Yeah, it certainly is a bit of a strange one. And yeah, going from Ineos Grenadiers to EF Education, don't really know the structures, etc. within the teams and how important nutrition is. But nevertheless, Ewan did just uh, foreshadow what we're going to talk about. Ewan, Yombo Visma. I mean, apart from that, it was strange. You want to go AI. Yeah, what is this? Because I, I don't think I've heard of this. The other day, Jonas Vingegaard got a big contract extension up to 2027, a long one. He joins that special club with Pogacar, Pippo Ganna, and a bunch of other sort of Galacticos and uh, stars of the sport. But with that, they made an AI-generated video that was supposed to be him as a kid talking about his career. It was really strange. I didn't really understand why. It was postmodern at times. You didn't really know what was true and what was not. Because uh, you had this like little AI generated child wearing a bike helmet in a Yumbo Visma jersey, talking with an American accent about y- about Jonas Vingegaard's career, as if he was a kid. So it was like using like the future tense. So it was like maybe I maybe I can win a Tour de France one day, and then it it just like puts up pictures of Jonas Vingegaard, and it was supposed to be him. It's awful. I detest it so much. And I mean Yumbo Visma. They're not shy of using AI. There's been a sort of catchphrase here with the AI-generated tactics of Jumbo Visma. But, I mean, it really is AI-generated. Their Tour de France kit in 2022 was AI-generated. This awful contract extension video was AI-generated. And mm. they've got those AI-generated meal plans. So, I mean, there's there's a lot going on with AI at Jumbo Visma headquarters. But this also coincided in this whole aesthetic and marketing motif, which they've spent way too much money on, is linked to their Tour de France rebrand of Ride Your Dreams, which is in partnership with a theme park. So it's it's called Velodrome. A play on words with the Velodrome in French being like the place where you cycle. We all know that. It's in English as well. But also Velodrome, like Velo, bike, Drome, the Dutch word for a dream, because it's all about living your dreams. So they, they've released this special edition Tour de France kit, uh, which I think is quite frankly awful. It's black and yellow. It's kind of reverse two-toned, but it's got this awful hexagon in the center. France is known as the hexagon. So they've just got this like hexagon of France with the outline of France inside. I don't know why. With a bunch of stars. And the whole thing is about stars and constellations and following your dreams because anything can happen. Believe us, we did it last year. We followed our dreams and it became a reality. I, well, actually, the day we're recording this is Sunday after uh, Liège, Bastogne, Liège. This is the final day you can pre-order your kits so you can have your constellation on it. So like from a special time and place that you want, you can get the stars on the jersey. That's The design will be specially placed for your specific constellation in mind. The riders who are doing the Tour de France this year have all chosen their own constellations or whatever star pattern to be put on the back of the jersey. It's a lot of marketing going on. But in the process of releasing all this, they have accidentally told us their Tour de France team. Or maybe it might change, but these are the eight eight riders that were all shown modeling the new kit. Given that last year, 
they did the same thing, but only with like the stars. They were confident this year to to model the the new kit they have for the Tour de France with eight riders, which also coincides with the eight riders that they would be riding the Tour de France with. So the eight riders at Jumbo Visma have modeled that their new Tour de France kit are Christophe Laporte, Nathan van Hooydonk, Dylan van Barle, Wout van Aert, Jonas Vingegaard, Sepp Kuss. That's not eight riders, but it's close enough. It's six riders. So, but there's there's room there's room for two more people that will be in their Tour de France squads, which might be up for debate. But that's quite a big chunk of their tour squad that they have released with this kit reveal. Okay, they've got our pro cycling stats: Vingo, Kreisvik, Van Baal, Van Aert. Oh Benut. shit! Sorry. Kreisvik, he, he Christoph Laporte, yeah. Nathan Van Hoendorp pictures for the kit, so he he will be there. And uh, yeah, two, well, Nathan Van Hoendorp and Sepp Kroos. Sepp Kroos doing two, two. Exactly, that was that was what captured most imagination or dreams. So, but wait, wait, I'm 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 just gonna b- backtrack a bit. So ride your ride your dream dreams, whatever, plural or not, singular. Is it like make a wish or? What is it? I, I'm really confused as to what it is. Maybe maybe I, I didn't specify enough. This is a collaboration with a theme park. So you get to go to a theme spot. So you get to go to Alfred Tyler Towers Resort or something like. Well, it's like it's like the Dutch equivalent. Let me let me get the press release again. You get to go to Disney it's, World. What? <laughs> it's with Efteling, which talks about the power of dreams because this place is the world of wonders. I mean, it's a fantasy themed theme park. And they've done a collaboration. It's odd. Imagine if Six Flags did a collaboration with Treg Zegafredo for our American listeners. Just imagine how chaotic and nonsensical that would be. This is what this is. And the whole Velodrome thing only really works for Dutch speakers. It does not work in English, which I think makes it even more clunky. But they have paid a marketing firm an awful lot of money to get this done. And the one thing, like the Jonas Vingago AI contract renewal thing really irks me because they could have called up Yum- they could have called up Jonas and got him to do the thank you so much to Yumbo Visma and thank you I'm so excited let's let let's ride our dreams hashtag ride your dreams or whatever yeah he, he could have played along with the marketing thing but instead of doing that and making it feel authentic they got some AI generated kids that looks like something from the ring to, to read to read out this AI generated script. You can't even tell if it's reality or not. It's it's ter- it's terrifying. I much preferred that kit from last year. I think that was so much nicer and so much cooler with the whole fine art design. This thing with the whole ride your dreams, please. It's marketing gobbledygook. I mean. Anyway, apart from your impersonations, we just, uh, I guess we've learned that you can't do a Jonas Vingol. Sean Kelly, very well, but uh, Vingol needs a bit more practice. <laughs> but the team that we were going to try and focus on before the, the marketing thing came in the way of it, Vingol, Kreuzvik, Van Baal, Wout Van Aert, Benut, Laporte, Nathan Van Hoydonk, Sepp Cruz. No Roglic, obviously. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, it's very similar to last year, apart from it's like no Van ba- it's Van Baal in and Roglic out. Pretty much. Is that is that pretty much the nooks of it? And let's face it, it was a it was a great team last year. It did the job because they won. So that's that that's good. Of course they don't have Roglic this time. He who you could say was integral on Definitely. that stage eleven Definitely to was. up over Galibier to uh Glenor. You know, you could say if it wasn't for Roglic being there, then actually Jonas might not have put in so many minutes into Pogacar. So I think that although it is a really good team, it does concern me in an element or two in that the Mountain Domestiques seem to really be Krauschweg and Kuth and Sepkus. Is that right? Yes, um, I have a feeling that they're going to bring Kjeldermann because there's one opening, I believe. Uh, Maths is not my strong point, but I believe there's one opening and that would allow Kelderman there because we spoke the other yeah. week about how Kelderman was missed out. Yeah, I think it's also been interesting to see what Wattman Art does because you know he in years gone by was actually almost a part of the lead out, well, like the mountain drain. But then last year, of course, he was going for green jersey and he seemed kind of less capable of doing that mountain domestique job. Whereas, you know, what will he do this year? is what I'm quite intrigued by for Wout Van Aert. Of course, he seems to usually pick up a stage or two, but is the green jersey still a thing which they're wanting to do? Or are they really just focused on just yellow? Hashtag Ratchet Dream. <laughs> Hashtag Get Jonas Yellow. Again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Kelderman is definitely going to be in this team. 
yeah, I it think makes sense. Kuz is not going to be doing this. Let's be honest. If he's spent from the Giro, there's no way they would bring Kelderman in and then not use him. But they've already got the promo picks for the new kit. <laughs> and Kuz is in them. What are they going to do about it? Scrap it? Come on. Kelderman wasn't there. This is Kelderman wasn't there. No Kelderman. Well, maybe... I mean, <laughs> I said the other week, they're too rigid with their with their tactics. The fact that they've done a full photo shoot in, in a kit that they've released two months before the Tour de France because they want to sell it in time shows that they're a little bit rigid here. Maybe Kuss will get struck off. Maybe he won't. But oh. if he wants to hashtag Ryder's dream, let him, let him hashtag Ryder's dream. And that dream is the Giro. Yumbo have too much money. But they're just starting to do some really weird stuff. And well, it just doesn't make sense. Allegedly, Yumbo, the supermarket, does have too much money. But that's a, that's a question for a different day. But okay, well, finishing this... Financial misconduct. Let's finish this segment with our sanity still intact. But UAT Memories are, we think, are going to be the big rivals. So in terms of this team, UAT Memories have strengthened themselves with Adam Yates, who's going to be, we think, at the Tour de France. So is this team weaker than the UAE team, Emirates team, who aren't going to be depleted by COVID or whatever it was last year. But who are UAE sending outside of like Pogacar and Yates uh, and stuff? Or do we not know yet? Rafa Micah, potentially Mark Soler, Doma Novak. That's kind of the speculation right now. Felix Gorshad yeah. should be there as well. Yeah, exactly. And may, maybe even Mark Hirschi. So it's like Miguel Biao would presume as well. So. Yeah, Miguel will yeah. be there, I assume. Uh, it's tricky to say. I still feel like Jumbo, Jumbo has dominance in terms of rulers, but in terms of climbing, I'd probably say that I favor UAE right now. Yeah, Micah and Yates. And it's like, is, but it's like, is that massively useful considering that there isn't a cobbled stage this time around? You know, do, yeah, I, 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 have Jumbo looked at the route? <laughs> good, good point. <laughs> I completely agree because last year, I mean, that that first week was so pivotal. We had all yeah. these stages where we thought crazy stuff was going to happen over the in Calais. that Ubar stage. Yeah. We thought it was all going to split up. We had the cobble stage, the stage under Calais. They sort of made little cracks in the Pogacar ar in the armor early on last year. This year with the route, it just doesn't really work. There's a couple of hilly stages in the Basque Country. Then I think we're just going to go into normal sort of plain old flat stages, quite similar to the 2021 routes where we had the chaotic stuff at the start with hills and then it settled down with the flat stages. I think that'll happen this year. It'll be um, less integral to have riders, to have rulers and so forth in this year's routes. I would say UAE have the upper hand. I think Yumbo might be a little bit too sort of nostalgic from last year. For instance, yeah. I don't think Van Bala really has a... <sighs> He should be on the Tour de France squad, but I don't think he fits into this Tour de France squad. Yeah, maybe Jumbo got, got AI to make the team. <laughs> Who knows? Chat think, GPT. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit weird. I think Adam Yates is such a weird one because last year, despite the fact that he dropped out of GC and in theory should have been like a domestique immediately for G, who was fighting for podium, he never really seemed to be that great of a kind of mountain super domestique for G. And it just makes me question whether he's got that ability in him, whether it's something he's trying having to learn. Like, I don't really know how he's going to fulfill that role or whether it'll feel like a square peg in a round hole. But this is Pogacar. It's not Geraint Thomas. This is a much more yeah. reliable GC leader. Last year, we were kind of left on tenterhooks of who's it going to be? Geraint Thomas was there. Pickcock was up in top 10 for a while, and as was Adam Yates, there were like sort of three musketeers, or three blind mice almost, not, not knowing which which, <laughs> which leader to work for, if you know what I mean. Like, if you recall that anarchical first two weeks of, of the Tour de France, none of them were really sort of working in a train for each other. It was it was each for their own. I think this is more structured. If Bogacar yeah. stays in his bike, he'll be fine. Yeah, I think you're right. But anyway, with that, a lot of fascinating discussion. We're coming to our favorite part of the show. Rider of the week, and uh, I mean, plenty of racing has been going on. So, uh, who wants to go first? I will go first because I have a good one. So, I'm gonna pick Max Poole, who okay. won the white jersey at Tour of the Alps. Do you know where is he's he, from? Is he from Yorkshire? Is he, he from is. Yorkshire? Yes, <laughs> which means that he must be the rider of the week. He is from Pickock his... was second. He is, uh, it, it's, yeah, yeah, no, but that's, uh, that's too, it's too boring, isn't it? Let's face it. He got spat. He got dropped. Max Poole's actually kind of like a little bit unknown. So, and it's just a different Yorkshire rider. We need to, you know, increase our repertoire, obviously. Diversify the Yorkshire. Exactly. 
He's from East Yorkshire this time around, whereas Pidcock's from West Yorkshire, so it's different. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to say... Tim Gegenhart? <gasps> Who saw this coming? Well, the, okay, so... I think he's had a he's had a really good year, as we said, and it hasn't really been taken note of, and no one's really been like paying attention to it that much. So I think giving him this will give him a huge morale boost. He'll open Twitter and see that that we gave him right of the week. So he'll be <laughs> like, "Yes, now I'm winning the Giro. Finally, someone recognizes my hard work this year." And coming from someone who said he was only going to be a one hit wonder at the Giro, I am optimistic about what's to come. By you, I mean, Scott. Well, we all know I'm going to pick Matthias Gilmors and Jensen, obviously. What for second at La Flesh and he was the na- best. Nine he for... was the <laughs> best rider across the three races. Uh, what you mean? Well, Amstel, La Flesh, and because um. most riders either they messed up on Flesh or they weren't at Flesh or didn't finish Liège, Boston Liège because <laughs> of unknown crashes. Maybe it was uh, Honoré who who <laughs> who sabotaged Pogacar. <laughs> Just so Skilmos Jensen could be the best overall rider. So what, the week. Yeah. And so that his former teammate, Remco Avenepoel, could win. Ah. And... There you go. <gasps> we have so a conspiracy theory. First... Yeah, exactly. Oh, we haven't had one theory. so far. Wait, so what you tell me is that your rider a week is the grounding for it. I mean, not to say that my grounding's much better, but yours is because Pagacha <laughs> crashed and therefore he became the best on average. See, now it's backhanded. Now, now it's a pity price. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, when you put it like that, that's a bit of a shame. Maybe Pogaccio wouldn't finish it inside. Oh, yeah. Of course he would. I mean, to, to, to be fair, I pick a Yorkshire one, you pick a Danish one, it makes sense. And then you and rounds us out with like a sense of Picking someone who tries to claim he's a Scottish person. So, yeah, it fits quite well. <laughs> Ted Gegenhardt is from basically where Ewan's from, so it's fine. We have connections. Ted Gegenhardt has also been featured in a YouTube video that passes through the town I grew up in, so there we go. But anyways, with that, that's it for this 13th very funny episode of the Echelon Tackling Podcast. Make sure to comment down below who your rider of the week has been. No one said Tadej Pogacar or Remco Venable. And uh, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. And of course, as always, thank you for watching and we'll see you next week.